the athletic. The new coaches that coming around, they think they find the last Coca-Cola in the desert. Words of wisdom as we launch our last Qatar World Cup preview. And Portugal are on the agenda with soft drinks and hard choices ahead. Will they have a Qatarstrophe? Brazil, Germany, Spain, who will be a Qatar above? It's totally at the World Cup, sponsored by LifeScore Bet. Part three of our previews. Hello, listener. We've got a fresh crew in today. Many thanks to James and Michael and brand new The Athletic columnist Maurizio Pochettino. But up for you today, we've got uh, Duncan Alexander. Hi, Duncan. Hello. Raphael Honigstein. Hello. And Leon Tharm. Leon Tharm. Hello. Hello. If the name is familiar, it might be from the Athletic Football Tactics podcast or because you've been perusing the extraordinary set of previews that Liam has put together for theathletic.com. Liam, you've analysed every team. Mm. You spent three months going through every team, how they play. Yeah. Who's going to win? Yesterday we had this discussion on the on the tactics pod. Um, I think Argentina to possibly edge up Brazil, obviously, uh, in the semis. Um, and I think they go all the way. Duncan, you spent three minutes probably with your computer machines. What answer did you come up with? Uh, I think Brazil, but I think Argentina's a good shout. There's a weird quirk as well. Since the World Cup went to this format in 1998 with 32 teams, the winning um, team has come from Group C in three of the, of the six times. And who's in Group C this time? Argentina. Or Saudi Arabia. Yeah, they've also got a great chance, yeah. <laughs> Lovely stuff, Rafa. You'll be bringing that... That level of expertise and insight. <laughs> uh, to groups E to H today. Listener, if you're after groups A, B, C or D, then check out our other two preview shows with Poch, Coxie and The Horn. Uh, we're th- two shows in. We've only got halfway through the group so far. I keep getting sidetracked with questions like, should you grow your hair, Pochettino? And mm. what's your favourite bit of World Cup memory? Mm. Anyway, well, maybe we'll have some of that in today's show. But why don't we start by unpacking Group E? This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Ooh, awkward Germany there. Four-time and reigning world champions at the time, losing 2-0 to South Korea, crashing out at the Russian World Cup at the group stage. Well, they're back in Group E. They're looking for redemption in with them. Spain, Japan, they'll clean up in the dressing room. Will they be tidy on the field? And Costa Rica, who Duncan's supercomputer gives the slimmest chance of any nation to get out of their group. It's true. But, I mean... Even non-computers can realise that's probably because Spain and Germany are quite tricky. Right. Yeah, All right, well, let's talk about how tricky Germany are going to be. Rafa, that 2018 campaign, how big a disaster was that? Yeah, thanks for bringing it up. Um, it was it was the worst ever World Cup, especially going into it as holders. And I think Germany were missing everything that they had in previous tournaments. First and foremost, a sense of humility. They'd be saying, okay, let's win the first game. Let's think step to step. And from the first moment, even before the game, Löw was only talking about, yeah, and the semi-final is in in Moscow, so we better put ourselves in Moscow, you know, short distances and stuff. And the final is also in Moscow, so, you know, really good. And he said to Marco Royce, don't worry about the first game against Mexico. I'll play you in the big games. It was just all wrong. The funny thing is, if you replay those games, certainly the South Korea one, it's probably a freak result, the fact that they end up losing because they have so many chances and they just don't take them. If they go through, then they play Brazil in the last 16. Maybe you get knocked out, maybe you don't. It's a different kind of thing, but yeah, you have to you have to play a lot better. And Mexico certainly was a was a disaster of a game, right. particularly. Well, no Jochen Love this time, first major tournament that he won't be in charge of the coaching setup for 18 years but Hansi Flick's in what what are the prospects how have they been under Hansi Flick they've been good he's changed things he's made it a lot more Bayern uh, style 4-2-3-1 really Bayern system trying to cram as many Bayern players into that team 
their one or two week positions, which coincide with the positions where there are no buying players, the fullbacks, uh, for example, um, no centre forwards either really of that quality, but altogether a sense that the team, the personnel, the tactics all works together a lot better than it did in the latter stages of Leuven. certainly the Euros, which had that disastrous uh, three at the back system where Kimmich had to play wing back and it's all just very odd. This one is a lot more straightforward. Team know what they're doing. I think the one doubt that creeps in a little bit is that Germany have always relied heavily on preparation time before the World Cup. They would train really, really hard to come together as a team, perhaps in a way that other nations with better players on paper weren't able to do. Going back, let's say, the last uh, 20 years or so. This time it's different. And you saw already in the game against Oman on Wednesday night that it doesn't quite have the same coherence. Now, he was resting a few players. Some of the players who were playing looked really worried about picking up an injury against Oman four days before the tournament starts. So maybe that shouldn't be too important for our evaluation of this team. But I think on the whole, people see this still as a work in progress. And the pressure on Flick isn't actually that big as it would have been if he'd already been in his second or third tournament where probably nothing short of winning is seen as acceptable. I think if they were to get to the quarters and get knocked out by Brazil, people would probably say, OK, this is not, not a bad start to this campaign for him. Really? OK. Liam, in your group preview for Group E, for each one of these teams, for weakness, you've just put scoring goals. Mm. Kind of. Um, they scored a lot in qualifying. Uh, they were Europe's top side in terms of open play goals. Uh, they scored 28. But they were quite interestingly spread. As Raph said, they maybe lack sort of an out-and-out number nine. Um, but then the style sort of pertains to a team that get these number tens in wide areas. They play really nice combinations. They get the fullbacks involved. Um, lots of goals and sort of rebounds or crosses, cutbacks that come in. They might not score the first chance, um, but often Thomas Muller or Kimmich Gundogan, one of the sort of double pivot arriving late to score. So it's a really weird mix. And I think there's a few other teams in this tournament that are similar that will generate chances and score, but maybe don't have that number nine profile. Mm. How will they line up, Rafa? What, what will the 11 be, do you think? Um, well, I think it's going to be Kera on the right, Zule and Rüdiger in the centre, Raum on the left. Kimmich and Gunduan, potentially maybe Goretzka against Spain, but Gunduan against uh, Japan because of more ball circulation, etc. Left-hand side, I think Leroy Sané. Jamal Musiala on the 10. Right, Serge Gnabry. And up front is a big question mark because Niklas Füllkrug has come in as a proper number nine, but he's only got one game in the Germany national team. And that game came against Oman for 45 mm. minutes and he scored which gives Flick maybe another option. Uh, there's Yusufur Mukuku as well, but he looked very nervous against Oman. He's only turned 18 on Sunday and looked a little bit nervous in that game against Oman. So it could be another force nine situation with Kai Havertz. I think it's between Havertz and Fulkuk at this stage. And I think it's a pretty decent side. The fullbacks perhaps slightly more functional than really exciting, which is a bit of a problem of a team that wants to have the ball and create things. We should always remember that Germany started the first four games mm. in 2014 mm. with four centre-backs. Um, and they just did enough to go through and then changed it up against uh, France when Philippe Lam moved back into that right-sided defensive spot. And they won with a left-back who's a, right, a centre-back and right-footed. So you can hide your your weaknesses if the rest of the team works well enough. I'm excited to see Mario Goetze back after so many years in the wilderness. Will he play at all, do you think? No. I think he might get a chance to come on right. at some stage. But my hunch is that if you do see him in action, it's probably a bad news for Germany. Oh. Because they'll need something to happen. Right. Um, but I agree with you that the fact that he's there, the fact that he's back playing at this high level is is great to see he's had a really tough couple of years and he's come right back into form uh, not just at frankfurt but also initially at psv Eindhoven under roger schmidt and it's yeah it is a lovely story 
Rafa, for anyone who doesn't listen to our Tuesday European show where you talk of little else, a word on Jamal Muziala? The word I would use if if you force me to use only one word is mm. probably magical because he does stuff that very few people can do on the ball, especially very few German players we've ever seen. And there is that famous quote, James, from Arthur C. Clarke, who says, any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. If you replace technology with technique, right. I think you've got Musiala. They said that about Paul Daniels as well. So Did they? Mm. Arthur C. Clarke was a big Paul Daniels fan. Uh, no, he's wonderful. He's wonderful, and I think... Musiala. Musiala. Right. Should be playing for England, but yeah. Yeah. Um, he... I think has put himself in a position where Hansi Flick cannot not play him. And it'd be a travesty if he doesn't start the game in the number 10 position, which of course would leave out a certain Thomas Müller, which might be a big shot, although he could play on the right instead of um, Serge Gnabry, possibly. Or he could play through the middle as well. But Müller's been coming into this tournament with back issues right, and might not be fit. Maybe Hansi will keep him back for the big games later and on, the semi final. <laughs> yeah, might, might keep him back, yeah. But yeah, it's, right. it's, a, it's yeah. a decent Germany squad. I'm quite hopeful. If you finish second in this group, you're less likely to play Brazil in the quarterfinals. So, I thought about this. I yeah. wonder if the German FA have. It could be an easier draw. And I'm sure that German FA have looked at this, but at the same time, it's hard to engineer, really. Um, you could maybe lose against Costa Rica right at the very end, but then you need to be certain to go through at that point well given the way you performed at your last World Cup you might not have too much choice yeah, absolutely yeah. all right let's have a quick word on the other teams in this group you've got Costa Rica Japan and a side called Spain Alvaro will be telling us about them in a second or two why Duncan does your Op- Opta supercomputer give Costa Rica the slimmest chance of any nation to get out of their group well because it's the only group with two Genuine heavyweights, I think. Oh. Um, some might have called this a group of death. This one, it's a group of truth, really, because it's like Spain and Germany should go through. Right. Now, we know that every World Cup there's a big shock in one of the groups. I don't think it's this group. I think we'll come on to that group later. But, but yeah, I think I'm interested in the Spain-Germany game itself because I think both teams dominated possession so much in qualifying. And obviously, they both can't do that in that game. So I think we'll see a different side to at least one of them. I just want to remind you what mm-hmm. happened the last time the Ticos were in a group of death. Do you remember? 2014? Oh, yeah, obviously. The, they were with Italy, yeah, and, Italy England. and England. And who went through? Uruguay and Costa Rica, yeah. So. Wow. All right, Liam, you, you spent three months watching all of this. What do, what do you make of the Ticos' chances? Probably more than most. Um, I, I think they're quite exciting. They're going to be more exciting on the break. They look... More similar, I think, than most teams do compared to sort of four years ago um, or, or eight years ago, a team who are exceptionally good at defending the midfield third of the pitch. They won't really press teams. They're going to sit deeper. It can be lightning break on the uh, lightning on the counter attack. Sorry, they went through the end of World Cup qualifying hardly conceding goals. They were they were phenomenally good there, um, and with Justin Bennett, have a really talented youngster as well. Out of Sunderland, yes. Woof. What about Japan, who made it to the last sixteen last time? What what about their prospects? Tough draw for them. Yeah, that that's probably the worst part is I think Japan in particular um, are, an, are an exciting team. Um, they've got really good forwards and a lot of depth as well. There's probably about five or six um, forwards that you could argue all deserve a starting spot, which is as much of a strength as maybe a weakness. That's in terms of having good players, but then I guess the um, selection headache. So expecting to see Daichi Kambada um, of Frankfurt play in the number 10 role. I think he's a really talented player, uh, which is interesting because they've got Takumi Minamino, who you could argue is better, but maybe that's Premier League bias coming in, having played for Liverpool. Um, but they were really, really good against the USA in particular. And I think it was as much a reality check for a lot of the uh, American fans as it was, you know, Japan being really excellent. And he spoke quite openly, Moriasu, after the game. And I, I was intrigued because you don't get this much from national team managers. Um, and he said that they switched from a 4-3-3 to a 4-2-3-1 um, because he felt they had talent and that would get the best out of the individual players. I was surprised to see him say that so mm. um, candidly. OK. They start against Germany, who, of course, mm. lost their opener at the last World Cup. So there's that. Is there a particular weakness in that Japan side then? 
Um, possibly the back line. I think there's you know areas in terms of it's it's aging a bit. There's maybe it's maybe not got the pace that it once had. Um, they're an okay possession team, but then their metrics and their stats, uh, you know, them in qualifying against other Asian sides. So doing that is um, a very different prospect to doing it against the uh, very elite. Um, sort of European sides, I think they probably lack a, a high quality number nine, which is interesting because this is a group that has got so much attacking quality and all of the teams have really not got a standout number nine. There's a real absence of that goal scorer to say, we think there'll be lots of goals, but we don't actually know who's going to maybe get them. Mm, interesting. All right, well, the other team in the group are Spain, the Spanish who flopped at the last world, the last two World Cups. But were finalists, beaten finalists to France in the Nations League and only just missed out on the Euro finals last summer on penalties. How are they looking ahead of this one? Here comes Alvaro Romeo. Alvaro. Hello, James. Hello, Hello James. There. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. How are Spain? First of all, any surprises in the squad? Not big surprises, at least for those who follow closely the Spanish national team. Uh, from outside, you may find it a little bit weird that uh, the likes of uh, Tiago Alcantara, Fabian Ruiz, or even Diago Aspas, uh, a player I talk uh, about a lot in the Totally Football Show, are not included in the squad. But the truth is that they haven't been part of the Spanish squad for a year or so. So no, not big surprises. 26 players like any other national side. And at the end, in the last second, Ansu Fati made it, which was for me the biggest doubt. He was the number 26 player to be called by Luis Enrique. All right, that is exciting news. How do you think they're going to line up? I think it's very difficult to to predict because Luis Enrique is absolutely unpredictable and he likes that. And even he sometimes he has showed off about it in uh, press conferences. But I think that there are like five or six players that more or less we can all agree that they are going to start. And they are the likes of uh, Aymeric Laporte, Unai Simón, Sergio Busquets, Coque, Pedri and perhaps Alvaro Morata. I would say that those players are 13 to start. Maybe Koke uh, will be out instead of Gabi. That could happen as well. But then there are a number of players who can make it. And I think that uh, depending on the game and depending on their form, they will be chosen by Luis Enrique. We are dominant and we make the top sides look inferior to us. Uh, we have done that uh, in the past. That's why we are in the Nations League uh, top four. But then normally when we uh, play against lesser opposition, we mm. struggle to win easily, which makes Spain a little bit confusing for the neutral spectator. Okay, could be an issue in your opening game against Costa Rica. Who yes. do you think will be the star of Spain's World Cup? I think that the star is going to be Pedri. I think that this guy is uh, ready to to be the Spanish star. He has had a little bit of an inconsistent season, but technically speaking, he's the best player. Uh, he was already the best player in Euro 2020 or 2021. And uh, Pedri is very well surrounded by the likes of Busquets, Rodri, Gavi, Coque. So basically all the creative responsibility relies on him and Pedri is very happy to take it. So I think that he will be the best player. And there is a French player that I would like to mention here, Nico Williams from Athletic Club mm. Bilbao. He may not be a finished product, but he is very daring. He dribbles past players. He's very entertaining. The second he's on the pitch, you want him to get the ball. So maybe Nico Williams can be that surprise factor, not because not many sides know this player. And uh, he can, he's capable of uh, inflicting pain. He's very young. And if the game is fast-paced, or if the game uh, is um, decided in tight spaces, well, Nico Williams can definitely uh, make the difference there. Lovely stuff, Alvaro. One last thing then. Only once since 1950 have Spain actually reached the semi-finals, remarkably, and that was 2010 when they won it all. Flops at the last two World Cups. What are the prospects this time? Where do you think, how are they going to do? It's difficult to trust on Spain just to get to the final because they don't have reliable centre-backs and they don't have uh, a great number nine and I think that these things are important. Uh, Alvaro Morata has scored only five league goals this season and he's the only hefty uh, striker we have up front because the other strikers are kind of hybrid strikers. So I think that Spain is going to probably reach the last 16 round or even the quarter-finals because uh, I think that uh, Spain has... Uh, an, kind of an easy uh, last 16 round ahead of them. But then in the quarterfinals, if we happen to face one of the big giants, I think that we're going to struggle. So I would say that quarterfinals is kind of a logical 
outcome for Spain considering their players, but on the other hand, in my opinion, we have the best possible manager, and Luis Enrique is a great tactician, and maybe Luis Enrique has that cutting edge to make Spain go one step further, but I would be very surprised if Spain is in the semifinals or any further. Alvaro, thank you so much. Thank you very much. Viva España. A preview Alvaro recorded for us a few days ago. Hopefully this time Spain won't sack their manager to stay at the tournament and render that all null and void. Here's a remarkable fact, Duncan. Spain have only reached the semi-finals once in the last 60 years. It's true. And even that doesn't count because they won the World Cup scoring eight goals, which is a disgrace. So, um... <laughs> their second game is a week on Sunday and it is the Spain-Germany clash. Spain... Rafa have only lost once to Germany in the last seven meetings. How about that? Germany's bogey team. They were really happy when they didn't have to play them in 2014. That's part of the reason why I think they had more confidence. Uh, also Italy, the other bogey team, were, were no longer there. And this time they'll have to play them. Um, Don't win the group, says Duncan and his machines. How do you think it's going to finish up? I think Spain might win the group, which might be good news for Germany. Hmm. And Germany going through alongside them. Yeah. Duncan, your top two? Yeah, I went Germany, Spain, Japan, Costa Rica in that order. Liam? I think Spain, Germany top two as well. But I could see, I think in particular, um, Costa Rica taking points off of Spain. Um, I think there might be a win for Japan or Costa Rica in one of those. I don't think um, it's going to be a nine-pointer for anyone. I think it'll be closer than people expect. Very good. Next up, hey, it's Group F. This is the Totally Football Show, sponsored by LiveScore Bet, the home of squads. Squads is a weekly free-to-play game. You reveal five players across the week which make up your squad, and you can earn cash each time they score in the selected games. The cash amount is decided by LiveScore Bet's prize wheel and can range from 10p up to £50 per goal, which you can spend once the final player is revealed. Find out more and play squads for yourself for free at LiveScoreBet.com or by downloading the LiveScoreBet app on Android and iPhone. It's over 18s only and full terms and conditions apply. Please bet responsibly and be gambleaware.org. This upcoming World Cup, what are The Athletic going to be doing about it? Well, every night I'll be hosting a Totally Football show with the likes of Raphael Honigstein, James Horncastle and the rest of the Totally crew. Then every morning from Qatar, wham, The Athletic Football Podcast will be at you with David Ornstein, Matt Slater, Adam Crafton and many more. There'll also be World Cup content from Adam Hurry's Football Clichés podcast, Michael Cox's insightful Athletic Football Tactics podcast and Joe Devine's TIFO podcast with all the stories that matter from Qatar. All in all, The Athletic is your essential audio companion for the upcoming World Cup. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker and now ad-free on The Athletic, this is The Totally Football Show with James Richardson. Group F, everybody, features not one but two of the semi-finalists from the last World Cup. Belgium, who ended up third-place finishers in Russia, and Croatia, who were, of course, beaten finalists. Also in this group, there's Canada, who were at their first World Cup since 1986, and Morocco. Now, most pundits would look at that and go, well, Belgium and Croatia are going through, but clearly, Liam, you're not most pundits. So what chances do Canada and Morocco have? I think it's the first time we've been called a pundit, so I'll take that as, a, as a compliment. Yeah. I, I think a reasonable chance. Um, I'd argue Morocco have probably got one of the best fullback pairings at the entire tournament. Nice. Um, Akraf Hakimian and Masrawi, who we're used to seeing Masrawi on the right at club level. He's a right footer, but will play on the left. Um, and they were good, I think, at, at AFCON. Um, they scored plenty of goals. They're quite a dynamic attacking team. Again, there's maybe question marks over them defensively, which um, could be an issue in what looks like a good attacking group. Um, and who were the other team? Oh, yes, Canada. Canada. Canada, who, who you're really keen to, mm. to to see more of. Yeah, I mean, I, I maybe underestimated them a bit before I'd looked at them. Um, and then it turns out they won the octagonals. They won North American World Cup qualification, um, which is, I think, a lot bigger deal than maybe what qualification is here in, in Europe because they have it as a round-robin format mm. um, for anyone that isn't aware. So 
they came out on top of uh, the US and Mexico, which is, you know, I think the first time ever that they've done that. Um, John Herman, their manager, has got a lot of rave reviews. He's had experience on, on the women's side um, with the Olympics as well, so he's got tournament experience. They're very tactically flexible. They've got very much an emerging generation of talent um, underpinning them. Jonathan David in particular is, is phenomenal. And Alfonso Davis, who I'm used to watching, you know, play on the left wing um, as more of a fullback or a wing back, plays as a number ten for them at times. So cool. they're, uh, yeah, they a bit like be... kind of Rachel Daly having different mm. international role to, to club role. Mm. Yeah. yeah, makes sense. Very nice. Are you suggesting that they might have a role to play in the last sixteen? Uh, I'm not sure I'd go that far, but I was speaking to um, Joshua Cloak, who's our, our Canada expert, um, and he was saying that he thinks they're going to benefit from the lack of pressure really that there's lots of sides here who've got sort of players um, possibly ageing a bit or maybe their last World Cup and that they need to achieve now and he says that Canada is happy to be there of course they're not going to be ecstatic if they don't score any goals or or lose all three games but they're uh, they're not requiring as much to to win now Um, and of course they've got the benefit of a tournament in four years time that they're probably looking towards more than this So very true losing all three games and not scoring any goals is of course what they did in their last appearance uh, 36 years ago. Rafa? I was just going to say real Group D Champions League vibes about this uh, nice. This particular group. No real heavyweights with apologies to Belgium. I don't think they're quite as good as they were. Uh, Croatia the same. And it looks very open, I would say. Morocco were outstanding and really unlucky, I thought, uh, four years ago. How good would you say they are this time? I think they're good. Um, they've got the difficulty of having changed head coach, um, which can, I think, outcome by will be a positive or a negative. Either they, they do well and it's our, you know, a, a new head coach bounce or um, players. But it means Ziyech is back as well. Yes, so. and that's a great thing. Um, so he often plays off the right as a left footer coming inside. Likewise, you'll get Sofiane Buffal um, on the right coming in. So really dynamic wingers, these advancing, overlapping fullbacks. Um, I'm not quite sure if they'll be as adventurous as they can be when they play sort of other African sides, but I think they're a really fun team to watch that most people will probably box them in as a you know, deep defending team, only on the break, but they're, they're very much more than that, so they'll definitely open a few eyes, I think. OK. The heavyweight sides in this group, though, are Croatia and, and Belgium. Belgium, Rafa, you're calling not as good as last time. Yes, that would be the official trademark for them. <laughs> Not as good as last time, Belgium. I mean, they are ranked number two in the world by that FIFA lot. Yeah, I know. Um, and of course, they have wonderful players. But I think you can go through the entire predicted lineup, and maybe you've got one open, Duncan. I'm looking at you. Um, what have you got, Duncan? And find it, what were you looking at? Uh, <laughs> I was looking. Did I just share that with the rest of the park? Um, no. Okay. And. Uh, with the exception of Kevin De Bruyne, who's still one of the world's best players, mm. I don't think they quite have the same star power no. this time around. Courtois, Romelu Lukaku has not been playing at all this season. Liam, who else have you got? Have you got a lineup? Eden Hazard. Eden Hazard. Mm. Yeah. I mean, that that is the issue, isn't it? This golden generation's gone on. So it's gone on longer than, than the golden girls at this rate. And nice. um, they're now bronze, more bronze. Bronze, generation. yeah. But given 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 the size of the country, you could argue that it's it's not that they've been waiting to succeed. They have succeeded by, I mean, third place finishes at a World Cup. But the last World Cup they got to beat England twice, which you know they okay. probably weren't playing England this time. So um, right, and not twice. Yeah, definitely not twice. Mm. Okay, then. So Belgium, not. What about the other golden generation, Croatia? Probably got the best midfield three at the tournament, I think is, is fair to say. Again, the age of players might come into factor within that. Um, they didn't score a huge ton in qualifying and again, lack a sort of high quality number nine. I think Ivan Perisic and Luka Modric were their joint top scorers in qualifying and, and had three each. So they're great. You want those players to be sort of pitching them with goals, but to have them as your primary source can, can be an issue. But uh, I think when we don't see Modric and Perisic anymore in the international stage, then we'll probably really realise how good they were. I think if they'd been playing for a country that was higher up in the FIFA rankings or was more consistently performing um, at major tournaments, that people would maybe rate them higher. I think they're some excellent players technically. Um, the fact that Perisic is you know, one of the most two-footed players, I think, um, in, in recent seasons is, is phenomenal. They topped their Nations League group uh, to reach the semi-finals next summer. So they're obviously in form... Lim, you point out that the last tournament, when they did get to the final, they didn't win a single knockout game along the way. And you don't view that as a sustainable model for tournament success. 
which I can then caveat myself with, you don't need to be sustainable at a tournament. You've got oh, yeah. to be good for up to sort of seven games. Um, so it's, yeah, as Raph said before, it's about, about being good enough. Um, I, I guess with them and the same critique I'd make of Belgium is tactically, they're probably quite predictable. Um, so teams know how they're probably going to play and how they're going to set up. They created an awful lot from crosses in qualifying. I think they're more a case of being unstoppable because of their star power than maybe being unpredictable. Mm, nice. Would you care to say who you think is going through and in which positions? Um, I still think it's going to be Belgium and Croatia. I'd imagine in that order. Um, I think both will have their sort of individual quality shine through, particularly because I imagine teams are going to press less at this tournament and with player fatigue and, and with the, the climate as well. And that's just going to make space for these great attacking midfielders to have time in advanced positions. Mm. I think that's quite a key point in the sense that it's going to be a hot World Cup. It's a 26-man squad World Cup. It's five substitutes World Cup. So it's going to be a lot more. And I think if someone like Belgium starts off slowly with the predicted old guard then it gives a chance hopefully for some of their better younger you know someone like Trossard to come in and, and maybe get a chance Belgium's first game is next Wednesday that'll be against Canada mm. ooh that'll be one Pips de Classica that one right you're in on this Canada bandwagon, are you? Yeah, yeah, big fan. Anyone that's got a player named after a Bell and Sebastian song, Jonathan David, is, is reasonable. Um, they've obviously got a bad record. They're one of only four nations to play at least three games at World Cup and never score, along with leave gap for people to guess. Trinidad and Tobago, Zaire and China. China. Right. It's not a very big gap, but yes. <laughs> well, people can pause. There's the, yeah. Rafa, who's your, who's your qualifiers from this group? Potentially facing Germany in the next one. I think Croatia will win the group and I think Belgium might be vulnerable. Maybe Morocco might sneak through. <gasps> Morocco could be this World Cup's Algeria. Strong stuff there from uh, from Rafa. Duncan, I've enjoyed your stats throughout the season. Are there any particular World Cup ones that you're looking forward to deploying in this tournament? Well, this is going to be the first World Cup with no one playing in it that was born in the 1970s, unless Australia bring in Tim Cahill at the last, which you can't rule out, um, since the 1986 World Cup, for obvious reasons. You don't get, get, get many seven-year-olds starting at World Cup. So, and obviously, 86 was a pretty memorable mm. uh, World Cup where an iconic player led Argentina to glory. So, just saying. Just saying. Okay. Liam, which team out of all the 32 that you spent ages looking at are you most looking forward to seeing in action actually at a World Cup level? That's a very good question. Um, probably Canada. Yeah. Now that I've spent more time looking at them, that's purely because they're a team that I haven't watched up until recently um, at any real level um, internationally. So I, I feel like I've seen, that's really like a novelty factor. Right. I've seen other teams. Um, and I think particularly from a European perspective, they might surprise um, a few people. Magnificent. Uh, well, next up, Group G, which is the one with Brazil. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. You're listening to the Totally Football Show with James Richardson, sponsored by LifeScore Bet. You can get the latest football betting odds at LifeScoreBet.com. It's over 18s only. Please bet responsibly and be gambleaware.org. Group G is Brazil, Switzerland, do not France out the Euros last summer, Serbia and Cameroon. Let's begin then with Red Hot. Hot to trot. You've got scoring issues. They've not. Sell us out. Natalie Jedra joins us. Hey, Natalie Jedra. All right. Hello. Hello. Natalie, how's Qatar? It is very warm, indeed. <laughs> Natalie, so many people are convinced that this is going to be their country's World Cup. France because of Mbappe and, and that Ballon d'Or guy. Argentina because of the whole Messi storyline. Why is it Brazil think that this is going to be the Hexa, the sixth world title? I think, well, first, because it's it's an ongoing process that's been happening for now the second cycle. And, and this is very rare in Brazil because we're constantly changing managers. So we have the same manager and basically the same coaching staff for uh, two World Cups in a row. And when you talk to the players, everyone just gets 
and embraces the, the idea. The, the atmosphere around the camp is really positive. Everybody's very engaged with Chichi's uh, ideas and they are all very aware of what they need to do. And especially because uh, in the last World Cup in Russia, uh, there was a lot of talk about Brazil being too reliant on Neymar. And I think that really changed. That's a very important point because now we have um, a lot of high-class players and they're they're mostly, they're doing really well in their clubs and they have matured and you have uh, new talents as well. So there's more talk around other players other than Neymar compared to, to the past two World Cups, to Russia and, and to Brazil. Natalie, I saw Romario say that the team should play like they did in 94, just working really hard for one player just to score the goals, in this case, uh, Neymar. But this Brazil are a lot more collective, don't, uh, aren't they? they? They press a lot. How does he fit in into that more collective approach? It's funny that he says that because I think this national team is, is exactly the opposite of that. It's not about playing for one player. And I think even Neymar got that because he can play different roles. And in this sense, his past two or three seasons in, in PSG, especially with Thomas Tuchel, it, it really helped him because he started to play more as this kind of number 10, like a fake number 10. And he started to show more uh, versatility. So I think anyone who works with the national team, the coaching staff, the players, they all always pay compliments to Neymar. And you could say, oh, it's because he's a star, but it's, it's not. We've seen big stars being criticized, uh, even for, even from like, uh, players or coaching staff. But I think he really gets that it, it is not about him and it shouldn't be about him. And I think that actually kind of bothers him, the fact that it was about him for so long. So I don't think this is, is a problem. I think he really understands his role and I think he really understands, uh, the roles that he can play on the pitch and and everything he can he can deliver in different positions. Uh, so it's it's definitely not a problem, and I think we may see a bit of a different Neymar compared to to the past uh, couple of World Cups in this sense. All right, Natalie. The the biggest concern for you though is Messi, who you would, you might meet in a semi final. Uh, excuse yeah. me. Uh, hello, hello. <laughs> <laughs> what about the quarters? Okay. Oh, we, we, we can meet in quarterfinals. Let's wait for that, Rob. Okay. But uh, yes, we're very worried about Argentina because we've been facing them recently and we have seen closely how much they evolved under Scaloni. And we know the Argentinians and we know how much they embrace the emotional factors. So Messi's last World Cup, the first World Cup without Maradona, and they're really, they're really behind this team and Scaloni's ideas and they figure it out their defensive issues. So we are freaking out a little bit with how good Argentina uh, is playing. Natalie Jedra, everybody. Group G for Jedra also features Switzerland, Cameroon and Serbia. Liam, stun us with a fact about the composition of Group G. It's almost the exact same of one of the groups from the last World Cup. If Ooh. you switch out Cameroon for Costa Rica, Brazil, uh, Cameroon and Serbia all played together uh, at the last World Cup. And what happened then? Switzerland and Brazil qualified, I believe. Do you think that's going to happen this time? I'm not sure. I think Serbia are really, really big dark horses in this group, but Cameroon also very good. There's basically four decent attacking teams, um, which I think makes for good fun if you like attacking football. All right. I mean, I do. I don't. No, I do. Um, I think if we assume Brazil are very, very good, which I think is fair enough, and they, you know, possibly win all three games, then essentially it's a two-game shootout between the other three teams, which I think makes this possibly the most exciting group at the World Cup. Who's going to win this two-game shootout? Then could it be Serbia, who went undefeated in eight qualifying matches, topping a group that also featured Portugal? They've got goals up top from Dusan Vlajevic and, of course, Alexander Mitrovic. I really want, I really, I mean, Val Veghorst is at this World Cup, but I don't think we'll see much of him, sadly. Mm. But I really want to see Mitrovic um, do something, and I think he could in this group. What could he do, Duncan? Score with his head. As, uh... Boom. Uh, the other options being Cameroon and Switzerland. Who do you like, Raf? Uh, Switzerland are not the most inspiring of sides, but they tend to get results, and they find ways, ways through, as we saw in the Euros. 
I think they've got a decent chance. There is no obvious favourite for that second spot, I would say. Switzerland shocked the world, really, by eliminating reigning World Cup champions France in the round of 16 at last summer's Euros. They're also the reason that Italy aren't here, because, of course, they, uh, they beat them to top spot in their qualifying group. They were the joint lowest scoring team of all the UEFA qualifiers. They haven't been past the last 16 since 1954, Liam. No, but they have got out of the groups at the last four major tournaments. Um, that's obviously two World Cups and two Euros, so that quite quickly points to a round of 16 exit, I they, think. They don't win a lot of games, mm. but they don't lose a lot of games. I mean, people might remember in 2006, they played four games, obviously went out in the last 16 as per... They didn't concede a single goal in the whole in tournament. That classic against mm. Ukraine. That, <laughs> worst World Cup game ever? It's up there. It's nah. up there. England... Um, Algeria. Yeah, Algeria. Yeah. Yes, it is quite difficult to get excited about Switzerland. But I suppose, you know, Granit Xhaka had his Switzerland form, which he wasn't able to replicate at Arsenal. Now he is able to. So I guess that's something to look for. What about Cameroon? Third at this year's uh, Africa Cup of Nations. Rigobert Song's been brought in since then as manager. He's had... Almost no experience, is that fair, as a, as a manager? He also had, by the looks of it, almost no experience in pronouncing the names of his players <laughs> because he needed help from the crowd to actually name his squad. Swadibu. Swadibu. Okay. Merci, merci. Call and respond, this is a fun <laughs> technique. Yeah. He's also the first player to ever assist a Steven Gerrard goal in the Premier League, but I'm not sure that will come up during the World Cup. Um, yeah, no, but he, the, the, I guess there are questions over how comfortable he's going to be as manager. That press conference was, I mean, it, there could be circumstances about it, but it, it was particularly, it did seem indicative of something, the fact that he was completely mystified by some of the names that he had apparently selected. Yeah, which is obviously a good start. I mean, there's some really good attackers in in that side. Um, Abubakar, a fantastic Afcon. Um, I know the stats show him as good as as top scorer. Um, I think the most Afcon goals of a player this this century. Um, but I like the versatility that he had. I think he scored with his left foot, right foot, and and a headed goal, which is pretty impressive at um, you know such a short tournament. So that again points to completeness, having a a really good number nine and Kartoko and Kambi, who plays often to the left of him. Uh, much more of a dribbler, sort of a right footer that likes to come inside, but a nice balanced attack. Again, not a great possession team, but stock loaded with, you know, um, firepower at the front, which I think you could say similar for Serbia, uh, etc. Okay. Yeah, there's plenty of, uh, what are many people familiar names? Eric Maxin, Chupa Moting, who's uh, lighting up the Bundesliga and beyond with Bayern Munich. Andre Frank Zamba Anguissa, who's doing brilliantly at Napoli. Andre Onana, who's great between the posts for Inter. I mean, yeah, it looks like a squad, doesn't it? Brian and Boomer as well out of Brentford. Woof. So who's getting out of the group? Duncan. I think Serbia will, but I think Cameroon could. And so, because this is why I think wide open. It is wide open. I mean, if only Cameroon had brought back the sleeveless shirts, I think that might have edged them, edged them into second. Mm-hmm. Rafa. I'll go with the Swiss behind uh, Brazil. Sao. Okay, Liam. I'd like for it to be Serbia. I think they're good fun. But um, Switzerland had the best defence in UEFA World Cup qualifying. Um, only conceded two. Admittedly, they've got Jan Sommer between the posts, who keeps out a lot. They're not always great at purely preventing chances. But um, we seem to write them off before every major tournament, and they at least get out of the group. So I can't see that entirely changing. Shakiri will probably provide enough creativity to score some goals. All right. Well, whoever does get out of the group will be facing one of the top two from Group H. Who's in that? We find out next. Oh, incredible game. When they play with a false nine, it changes everything. A false nine, eh? What's that then? Well, it, it's, um, <laughs> you, you know, it, it's what well, he's, he's a nine, but he's not really a nine in the area. And. Uh... Oh, uh, sorry, I'm just got to take that. Urgent football question? Call the Athletic Emergency Football Hotline 0800 433 433. News, insights, analysis, The Athletic. Know the game, love the game. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. We're all driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. You can use Indeed for scheduling, screening and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. According to their own survey, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. Remember the last time you were hiring and how slow and overwhelming it was? Well, you don't need to go through all that again. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent. And because you listen to The Totally Football Show, Indeed is going to give you a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash totally. That's I-N-D-E-E-D.com slash totally. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed at Indeed.com. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network and sponsored by LiveScore Bet. You can get the latest football betting odds at LiveScoreBet.com. It's over 18s only. Please bet responsibly and be gambleaware.org. Two thousand and ten, Ghana poised to become the first African side ever to reach the World Cup semi-finals, blocked by World Cup football's third most infamous handball ever. Luis Suarez, in a rare moment of controversy, blocking that shot, forcing a penalty kick instead, which Asamojan failed. And then there was the shootout, and they blew that as well. And Ghana's dreams were over. Well, twelve years later, both Uruguay and Ghana are back at the World Cup, and they're drawn together in this group alongside. Portugal, Nations League winners, hmm? and South Korea, who we'll be hearing about shortly. What a, what a group this is. Uh, before we get on to the whole Ghana revenge plot line, that narrative... What? Do you, do you count Thierry Henry's handball as, yes. as a World Cup handball? Yeah, I mean, it's World because Cup related. I, no, it's I, not in the final. I'm not having that? No. Okay, Sorry. second then. Second most infamous handball yeah. ever. What about Maradona's one in 1990 against the Soviet Union? Fourth. <laughs> uh, we'll get on to the whole Gunner revenge plotline mm. soon. Well, there's quite a lot of revenge in this group because obviously Paolo Bento's the career yes. manager. But yeah. it was group H for hubris and Ronaldo's wants revenge against everyone. So. Against everybody because the Ronaldo betrayal, that's overtaken all other stories everywhere in the last few days. It's compelling stuff. After his heart-to-heart on uh, community access station channel Talk TV, there's been really forensic interest, I think, in in the whole body language of the Portuguese training camp, the arrivals, searching for signs that it could all go full Saipan uh, for Portugal. Bruno leaving Ronaldo's outstretched hand of greeting hanging there for a second or, a second or two too long, I, I felt. And João Cancelo, frankly, having none of Ron's vigorous attentions out on the, the training f- training field. What what do you think, Duncan? How, how many days have they got before the whole thing blows up? Well, we need to know if Ronaldo owns a, a Labrador or a Golden Retriever, whatever it was. Um, but I, I mean, even without this in the last week, there would have been a big question over the, you know, Ronaldo's role on that team. I mean, mm. in li- since to be fair, since I think September, the the Portuguese press have openly been saying, "Can we move on, please?" Yeah, and it's. Every team that has him has had to cope with this issue, and I think um, you know Liam makes a great point in his preview about you know how crazy Bruno Fernandes has been, and we've seen that at United this season. He's he's Bruno Fernandes of a couple of years ago because he's able to have that space and runners to to work with. So, but you can't see Portugal. He, it's Cristiano Ronaldo, and he you know he's he's going to play, um, and I I do think that that will hamper them enough that. They are at risk of not, get, not getting through this group because I think there's three other really good teams in this group. No one in world football has ever scored more international goals than Ronaldo. 117 from 191 international appearances. However, as one athletic reader replied on your preview page, 
He couldn't hit a barn door against Sheriff or Ammonia over full four matches. How should we expect him now to set the World Cup on fire? Rafa. Yeah, it's a fair point. I mean, you look at the squad and it's so hard to understand why Portugal are so, I don't want to say abject, but underwhelming. I think there's something maybe on a more personal level that doesn't quite gel in this team. But also I think Fernando Santos' reign is really uninspired. Uh, it often feels to me, and Liam can maybe say more about this tactically, it often feels to me sort of a throwback to how international football used to be. You pick 11 players and you think, well, these are the best 11 players of the country. They'll, they'll figure it out. And, you know, the qualifiers were poor. Their last three tournaments were poor. Oh, Euro 2016, they, they won, but not in particularly convincing fashion. The last three tournaments, I think I said. Okay, sorry. Yeah, you're right. That was now six years ago. Good Lord. And Ronaldo was a manager in that final rather than a player. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, which worked well. Um, so I'm not very hot on Portugal. You still think that somehow it could all magically come together because, I just have to repeat myself, the players are, are phenomenal. Yeah, Br- Bernardo Silva. Bruno Fernandes. Uh, João mm-hmm. Felix. Mm-hmm. Ruben um, Diaz. Silva is really good. Rafael Liao. Cancelo is really yeah. good. Rafael Liao, again. Rafael Liao is, is decent. Also, João Felix, one of the most thrilling talents out there, cursed... When he's allowed to play. Cursed to serve under two of the least <laughs> exciting managers <laughs> the game has ever seen. What's going on there? Well, not a lot. That's part of the problem. He's not, yeah, not even getting on the pitch, which adds to the, the Ronaldo debate. I think Diogo Costa, their goalkeeper, is a really fun one and adds to Rafa's point about the selection and uh, decisions that... Um, he got bought in for their playoff um, games, which is, you know, to drop Rui Patricio, who's got well over 100 caps, is, is quite controversial in such a big game. Um, but then has been lighting up the Champions League. Can you light up the penalty saves? I'm not sure. But he's been making... Illuminate. Oh, illuminate, there you go. Um, a record-breaking number of penalty saves, which is incredibly valuable at, at a tournament where mm. the likelihood is that you, you're going to reach a penalty shootout uh, if you're going to go some way to, to win the well, final. And that tends to be how Portugal progress. I mean, there's, yeah. a, there's a weird stat, which is that um, their last victory, and we know penalty shootouts are draws, um, their last victory in a knockout game was the one that got them through to the quarterfinals in 2006 in a World Cup. So they, as Raf was saying, they, they just, they look great on paper and then they just are so negative. Um, and I think the teams in this group are not teams to be negative against. Okay. The other teams in this group being Uruguay, Ghana and South Korea. Uruguay, they look like a lot of fun. You've got uh, Federico Valverde, who's been a revelation at Real Madrid. Rodrigo Bentancur, who's been doing brilliantly at Spurs. You've got your favourite player ever, Darwin Nunez. Plus... Hey, it's Suarez, Cavani, Godin, Caterism, Muslera. It's like, I don't know, a sports apparel ad where you get stars from different eras and mix them together. Anyway, I think all right. Also, mm-hmm. with Uruguay, you know, with a lot of footballers, you could say, well, you know, Luis Suarez would say, well, I'm not going to think about the incident from 2010. <laughs> you know, absolutely, he's going to definitely be thinking about it. And I think that Uruguay Ghana game is, is compelling. All right. When's that taking place? Uruguay Ghana. Monday, 28th. Oh, it's the final group game. Ooh, no, Duncan. Sorry, no. Yeah, yeah. No, no. It's the final Friday group game. Friday the 2nd of December. That's huge. All right. Are you excited about Uruguay, Liam? Yeah, they're good fun because I think the top South American teams, particularly Brazil and Argentina, like to have the ball and play very organised. Uruguay are a lot more, we're going to play forward and attack very quickly. Um, they've got good forward players. They, they get in behind in wide areas as well. They play nice midfield combinations. And they've got this really good young double pivot in central midfield in Bentaco and Valverde. Um, and then just a lot of really experienced, excluding Nunez, um, you know, older forwards who are like, that this is a, a nation who I think akin to Belgium, just at a different part of the world, that, you know, we forget how small a country they are and how much they're really still punching above their weight and consistently producing really, really elite players um, and managing to function quite well mm. on, a, on an international stage. So they're, they're really exciting for me. What's the population of Uruguay? Something like two or three million, I think. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, certainly. On, I mean, you're around the fours. It's yeah. like the population of South London equals Uruguay, I think. Something like that. Mm. That, yeah, OK. 84, as you say, though, uh, but they're, they're still... Scoring, aren't they? Suarez. Yeah, yeah. So he had eight goals, I think. Uh, five were penalties, I believe. Which, I mean, I count them. Some people don't. Um, they've also changed head coach. So the, the legendary Tavares um, was finally replaced. Uh, Diego Alonso came in and 
I think they lost their final four under Tabarez in in qualifying. Alonso came in, wins straight all the way through to to the end. So, what what kind of football has he got them playing? Direct is the wrong word because they're not like a long ball team, but they're not a really organised build up team. So they play through the thirds very quickly. Often they'll drop Ben Tanker or, or Valverde uh, or Torreira, one of their central midfielders, sort of deeper, um, try and play the ball forward um, into those you know, n- number nines. At times they'll play Nunez and Cavani or, or Suarez and um, attack, you know, quickly get it into wide areas and, and do the damage from there. Darwin Nunez, back in the days when World Cups came along and people didn't know, didn't get to see many players from other countries but you might hear about them or read about them I think Darwin Nunez would have been that sort of player when everyone was like A excited to see him and B you know impressed with what they saw so I think he's got an outside chance for the golden boot and um, yeah I'm looking forward to it Do you see Uruguay going a fair way then as a result? I think they can yeah I think they can make at least quarters and then you know with with some of the players they've got I think right. they've got they've definitely got shock I mean I think this World Cup's got quite a lot of 2010 vibes to it like England USA group again there's certain a bit of uncertainty is it I mean the 2010 World Cup was in winter in the sense that it was the South African winter so that's right. a bit different um, and obviously that was the World Cup where Uruguay did well so I'm, I'm expecting some one of the World Cups when they did well, well they had you know yeah the olden ones the yeah. old ones <laughs> yeah black and white ones so Ghana's prospects for revenge not looking good look at that no sooner as I said Ghana but poof appearing here on the show, Carl Anker, number one Ghana correspondent for TheAthletic.com. Hello, James. Hi, Carl. Thanks for popping by. W- what do you think, then, about Ghana's chances? Uh, expectations are reserved back home in Ghana. Ghana are ranked 61 in the FIFA rankings. That's the lowest ranked of all the 32 nations at this World Cup. They've got a very young squad. Uh, and even though they've gone on a quite positive recruitment drive since qualifying for the World Cup, this is still a team of large unknown variables coalescing very quickly on their manager who's more or less on the part-time status. Rafa, you can probably speak more to this. Otto Addo, the assistant manager at Borussia Dortmund and, and is sort of toing and froing and we don't really know if he's been paid by the GFA yet. I don't know if he's been paid either, but yeah. Look, it didn't work out so badly last time he was seconded, no? No, no, it did not. Uh, a sort of a smash and grab away goal victory over Nigeria in the playoff. This squad is... Going to struggle scoring goals. Okay. Uh, so there's a lot of conversation over the Ayu brothers, Jordan and Andre Ayu. Uh, they're the sons of Abide Pele, greatest Ghanaian football player of all time. There's also a lot of conversation within Ghana that if they weren't the sons of Abide Pele, they probably wouldn't be starting. Ah. Uh, so if you look at the squad numbers, uh, Andre Ayu, the captain, uh, now playing Qatar, he might set the the new record for the most capped players wearing the number 10 shirt, whereas Mahmoud Kudus, who probably should be the next star boy of the Ghanaian national team and probably should be inheriting the keys to the attack is, is wearing number 20 which is a very sort of the old guard needs to let go a lot will be asked of Mohamed Salisu who's making his first real sort of stint of games on the Ghana to, to marshal that defence next to Daniel Amate Tarek Lamptey will probably be the starting right back but again he's barely played he's only recently declared since Ghana qualified in that playoff they're a team of great unknowns however we do know that when Ghana have their backs up against the wall like evidence in the playoff games against Nigeria, like evidence in the final World Cup qualifying games against South Africa, which, and then its own form of controversy, Ghana can spring a surprise. There will be a lot of conversation about this Uruguay game. If Uruguay does start, I expect uh, quite a few players will share a yellow card to get their revenge for 2010. But, uh, and I think that game will probably take more precedent over getting out of the group. I think if you, if you talk to a few Ghanaian football fans and they say, do you want to get out of the group? but you draw against Uruguay or you beat Uruguay and you don't get out of the group. I think I think the split in the answers will be uh, quite noticeable. Fascinating. Fascinating. Carl, thank you so much for giving us that insight into the Black Stars' chances. One team still to talk about from this group, and it's South Korea. And we're joined now by Sung Mo Lee to do just that. I guess the big question coming into... The tournament is the health of Son Young Min. What, what can you tell us? Every day I'm checking his status at the moment, and I can tell you that he seems better than we worried in the beginning. He said uh, in yesterday's press conference that he could sprint without any issue. So I think, I mean, in terms of uh, sprint or running, 
he is almost there, almost there, almost ready. Just still there is some worry about if there is any kind of physical contact, especially around his head, that could be uh, a problem for him. So, so that's the, maybe that's the only issue at the moment. So the so Korean fans still worried about him, but I believe he's better than we worried. Okay. Which is a good news. If he's not able to start, say, for example, the early games, what kind of team does South Korea have without him? We are not sure because we, we never imagined about that, really. But maybe uh, the, the, I, wrote up, I wrote for you, the athletic, about little Jung Woo Young. There's a player in Bundesliga. Mm-hmm. From Freiburg. Uh, who is, yes, yes. And he's a very young, very excellent young player. Maybe, maybe he, he can start uh, in the place of Son. Or maybe Paolo Bento will use another striker instead of Son. But we are not sure. We will be relying more on Hwang Hee-chan, who is playing in, at Ulfs at the moment. So, I mean, all the preparation for the World Cup, we did it based on Son. So, yeah, he, it's, it's crucial for South Korea to have him back for the first game. Right. I can imagine the mood. There must be huge nervousness uh, there in South Korea as, as, you, as you count down to the opening game, which is coming up on Thursday taking on Uruguay. Every time I get questions about this, I always answer this, that South Korea has a history about making miracles in the World Cup tournament. And we have Son. If he can come back for the first game, we have the Golden Boot winner uh, of the Premier League. And we have a history that we make miracle in the World Cup. So we can always challenge Excellent. You've also got a number of players called Kim, and you could have four of them playing across the back line. Yeah, I, I should add one more. It could be five Kim, because the goalkeeper will be Kim Sung-gyu. He's the number one goalkeeper. And, I mean, if there's no injury for him, he will play for this World Cup. Kim. So the goalkeeper is Kim Sung-gyu. And on the left, we have Kim Jin-soo. And then in the center back, we have... Kim Min-jae, who is playing for Napoli at the moment. And then we have Kim Young-won. He is the player who scored the winner in last World Cup against Germany. And he is very experienced and he's vice-captain. So we have him too. And then on the right, we, we are not sure who will start on the right yet. But maybe it will be Kim Tae-hwan or Kim Moon-hwan. So <laughs> all four defenders could be... Kim, and then we also have the goalkeeper, another Kim. So five, it could be five Kim. That's extraordinary. That, that's extraordinary. <laughs> Finally, are you going to be fun to watch, South Korea? What, what kind of a team are they? I, I can give you one concept. Uh, it's a build-up play from the defense. South Korea doesn't play long ball, I mean, just those, those kind of football. Paulo Bento always prefer the way playing from the behind, build-up play from defense. So... Uh, it will be very crucial how well they will organize that uh, against the strong opponent such as Uruguay and Portugal, especially. So Kim, Min, you you need to keep. I mean, you need to focus on Kim Minjes play especially because not only he is a great defender, but for Korea's football at the moment, defense is crucial because all play is starting from there. So. Yeah, the defense will be very important. And we have Kim Min-jae and Kim Young-won. Those partnership was the best in Asia. They only conceded three goals out of 10 games for the last stage of qualifiers. So not only Son, it's not only Son. They are also very important players for Korea. Sung Mo Lee there. Lim, do you want to throw anything, anything else in on South Korea? There's one player I'm excited to see in particular. So Lee Kang-in, who's a young uh, attacking midfielder, won the Golden Ball at the Under-20 World Cup um, a few years back now, uh, playing in the Liga. Really good, really talented, really technical. Um, operates between the lines. He scores goals, he makes goals. Um, again, the question mark is uh, Bento's build-up play and his selection that he doesn't often have space for him. Uh, but you feel like he'd complement Huang and Son particularly well uh, in those attacking areas. All right, Liam. Well, 
Why don't you tell us who you think is going to get out of this group? Portugal, Ghana, Uruguay, South Korea. Boom. Mm. Uh, I think Portugal will take the group. I think there's just too much quality within there. Um, and Uruguay, I think, have enough in attack as well. Raf? Hard to argue against it. Duncan? Easy to argue against that. Um, I'm going Uruguay and South Korea to get oh, out. Oh, my Ooh. word, really? Mm. I think Portugal are the, are the big guns going out in the in the first section. I can, I, there's, there's too much turbulence around them. Heard it here first. All right. And maybe last. Portugal, who will begin their campaign also next Thursday against Ghana. Very good. Excitingly, Totally Football Show will be with you straight after, or a little bit after, the final game every day from Qatar, starting on Sunday with Qatar-Ecuador. That wraps it up for today's show, though, so many thanks to the myriad of international voices who participated. And here in the studio, Liam, Rafa, Duncan... And you, listener, thanks. We'll speak to you Sunday night. Have a great time in the meanwhile. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Listen ad-free on the Athletic app, discover bonus video content by searching for The Totally Football Show on YouTube and see the very latest subscription offers at theathletic.com slash totally. The Totally Football Show is an athletic media company production and sponsored by LiveScoreBet. Get the latest football betting odds at LiveScoreBet.com. It's over 18s only. Please bet responsibly and be gambleaware.org. The Athletic.